0: Hi. This is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope, that they can not only heal from cancer but live their best most vibrant life after cancer get ready to be inspired with your host Haley dubin hi and welcome to the cancer liberation project today i sit down with elena sonino elena is a life coach yin yoga teacher and author But what most people say about Elena is that she brings delightful sparks of energy to everything she does. Elena is on a mission to help you transform the walls of survival mode into doors of possibility so that you can step into the spotlight of your life as your most rooted and nourished self. Her work helps you get out of your head and into your body as your source of wisdom and moves you from beyond shoulds and into delight, one day at a time. At home, Elena enjoys watching the sunrise, tending to her many plants, riding her Peloton bike, and impromptu kitchen dance parties. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Elena, but before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Phelps Center, who makes the show possible. Hi, Elena. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today.
1: Oh my goodness, Haley. Thank you for having me. I am also looking forward to it. I've been- excited about it and just delighted in the work that you're doing and honored to get to be a part of it. Oh, well, thank you so much. And first, really, I
0: would just love to hear your story. I know you had cancer at a pretty young age.
1: Yeah, I was turning, you know, the years and I was like, what? year was it because it was before my birthday in 1997. So I was 22, 23, turning 24-ish in that realm. And I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it was perhaps the strangest and the most right, if that makes any sense. And I've never said that out loud like that. But if I think about Strange because I was seemingly healthy. I had gotten engaged six, seven days prior to my diagnosis. My life was really good. And I had just moved back. I had lived in Italy for a year. And so I had just moved back like four months before. And then there I was, uh, we were sitting at our Passover Seder table and the lymph node at the base of my neck was the size of a ping pong ball kind of overnight. So here's like the good part, right? Strangest good element of it. I was exactly where I needed to be, meaning that my now ex-fiance's father was a radiologist. Their best friend was a cardiologist. And we were all around the table together. And so I was in to see an internist the next day, not having any idea, right. What they were going to say, but everything, I was exactly where I needed to be, even though I had probably been having symptoms for six or seven months, you know? So even back to when I was in Italy, you know, when, when you're not paying attention and you don't know, you don't, I'm a hot sleeper, night sweats didn't mean much to me because right. And then I taught preschool. And so always having a cold, no big deal. But being like that moment, I was exactly where I needed to be and was diagnosed and staged really quickly at that point. And it was, you know, I was young. So there were a lot of uh, options for me in terms of what, you know, the, the treatments. And, you know, this was, again, 1997. So treatment has come such a long way since then. But at that point there were a few things that were important to me, being able to have children eventually. And for Hodgkin's, my oncologist explained the chemotherapy regimen that we ended up with as a bread and but no, as Hodgkin's, as like a bread and butter cancer. And now I kind of bristle at that. But this idea of I'm young, I'm healthy, you'll be fine. <laughs> and that's kind of how I went into it. I'm young, I'm healthy, I'll be fine. Protect my future feminine, you know, abilities and I'll be fine. Um, and it ended up, uh, it was fine. I was in remission six months later, and then I recurred five months after my remission. And so suddenly it wasn't so bread and butter.
0: Yeah. So tell me what kind of
1: treatment you needed. Yeah. So at that point, um, it was ABVD. So it was adriamycin, the bleomycin, vinblastine and something with a D. (laughs) And we picked that treatment because it had low fertility impact, but high probability of lung damage. And I said, well, explain what that means to me. And my oncologist said, well, for instance, you'll just likely never run a marathon. And I went, oh, okay. Possibility of having children versus not being able to run a marathon. I barely run 5k sign me up. (laughs) And two, three months in, I did in fact have the lung damage. My lung capacity um, had decreased significantly. And I was essentially, you know, experiencing life as an asthmatic or had things could trigger asthma type responses. Right. Um, And so, but at that point we decided, fine, no big deal because big picture that was going to be okay. (laughs) Right. And then second time uh, was a very different story because we caught the recurrence on a regular CT scan. And at that point they thought, all right, so the lymph nodes around my armpit were kind of saying hello. (laughs) And they thought they were just going to do radiation, which seemed like no big deal. And then I ended up having pneumonia. And a pericardial effusion. So I had fluid in the sac or a pericarditis. So I had fluid in the sac around my heart and needed emergency surgery. And at that point, everything changed in terms of how they were going to treat me and everything. At that point, we were looking at chemo, high dose radiation, and then a bone marrow transplant. So everything changed really quickly in 1998, half when I recurred. Oh, amazing. I mean,
0: I can relate to a lot of what you're saying because I was diagnosed in 1998. And so, like you said, treatment has come a long way. Um, It it is really tough as a young person because you go through these changes that you don't think about and no one really tells you about. So that being said, I, I know you've spoken about just, not having that desire as much, that sexual desire after your treatment,
1: and then you get some pain later. Yes. And it's funny, I was, I was thinking about this recently, right? I was in my early 20s and hadn't been particularly sexually active prior to being diagnosed. Probably way more information. You're like, well, okay. <laughs> right? My first partner was my fiance at the time, and then I got sick. And so I was the patient who gained a ton of weight in treatment. So there was this body kind of that I was carrying around with me that didn't feel like my own. And the last thing I wanted was intimacy. And so that became, and that kind of became my norm, I think, right? Even as my body healed and eventually even my reproductive system, I ended up having my daughter naturally, even though I wasn't, I was. In early menopause, and as they had said would happen, and then I got pregnant. So amazing and miracle and all of that. But through that all, my my desire, my ability to really connect with that part of myself, I think in nineteen ninety seven and nineteen ninety eight changed forever. And you know, it's now all of these years later, turning forty eight, realizing there's got to be another way because <laughs> we are made to feel pleasure and this whole, well, this is just the way it is kind of, isn't acceptable to me anymore. I couldn't agree
0: more. And like we said, it, it's not talked about at all and people feel shame around it. And so how did you handle that? I mean, where, were there people to talk to? I mean, you definitely were
1: young. I was so young and I'm sure there were people to talk to, but because I was young and also in, I talk a lot about, you know, survival mode and like we, we wanted to survive, right? Surviving was a good thing. And yet I was really numb to my feelings, my fear. I have four journals on my desk in this moment (laughs) to give you an idea of how much I journal. In those 18 months, Haley, I journaled twice right? So I was not at all connected to anything that would elicit real emotion. It was just head down, move through it. And so I really didn't take advantage even of the resources, right? There was this amazing cancer center at the hospital and people, and there was a therapist. And I remember uh, my fiance and I at the time went to see her, but I didn't, there was so much shame in, I felt like my body had betrayed me. So it was years, I think, before I started to recognize that I could talk about this, that there were feelings to unpack <laughs> and that my, my womb, kind of everything about me kind of went down into like survival mode and just protecting itself. So it's taken a long time. <laughs> yes. It's it's
0: baby stuff. It's, it's difficult. And so what did you, I know you said you had a hysterectomy years later, right? Mm -hmm. What was the reason for that? And then what went on for you after
1: that? Yeah. So I ended up having a hysterectomy in, I think it was 2012. And essentially what had happened was I kept getting irregular pap smears in the years. So in the three or four years ish prior to the hysterectomy and my gynecologist and I kind of I remember thinking, I don't need more elephants in the room, (laughs) right? Because my oncologist, when I was much younger, had said, look, like you've had chemo, you've had more chemo, you've had radiation, mini mantle, right? So chest and thyroid, all of it, this isn't an if, but a when in terms of second line cancer, this was after the recurrence. So there was already that kind of living with, there's a very high likelihood that I'm going to recur when I get older. So then, when my cervix started not cooperating, which was an entirely different part of me, and right, I'm thinking, "You want? We're going to add another one in." So, as I was, you know, becoming menopausal, had already was experiencing hot flashes. We at that point decided, let's do the hysterectomy. So they took my uh, cervix and uterus, left ovaries because even though I was menopausal, because I was so young. They wanted to protect my bone density as much as they could prevent against osteoporosis. And so I remember my gynecologist saying to my then husband, so at this point I had not married my first fiance, gotten married and divorced uh, the dad of my daughter and now was remarried. And, and this was two years after we were married and my gynecologist said, well, so, I mean, she might have symptoms of both menopause and PMS. (laughs) And my husband was like, I did not sign up for this. (laughs) But yeah, so that was in 2012. And I think I've come to realize what even, what a trauma that was to my system to have these parts of me removed. And that's really when I think I started to feel the impact of, even less desire and incredible pain that has then built over time since then because my body wasn't producing the hormones it needed to you know stay all the things that that area needs to stay in terms of the tissue and it you know has was really hard for many years and and continues to be something that I'm I'm really working on in terms of healing and redefining what my relationship is with myself
0: yeah and i was just going to ask you Is it difficult even now to talk to your husband about it? Because I know a lot of women have that issue. They're still attracted to their husband, but they're not really in the
1: mood or like you said, it's painful. Yes. So it is incredibly hard. And I, you know, I, I have a coach, I have a therapist, right? All the things. And I, my husband would delight in me sharing my feelings with him, right? He would be honored if I should, which isn't true in all relationships, but I know that to be true. And yet I'm, I still struggle. So we were recently on vacation and I had been reading about sensate therapy, which is when you really take a mindful approach to just reconnecting and communicating around it to be see just your touch, right? Just touch. And, and I wanted to bring this up with him. Haley, it took me three days and I was like tearing myself to shreds at needing to have this, wanting to have, I wanted to have this conversation and yet I couldn't bring myself to to have it. And once I did, my husband was so grateful, right? That I had come up with an idea, an exploration for us to reconnect. And so it's been this push pull for me of I desperately want to reclaim, you know, pleasure and intimacy and, and the belonging that happens in relationships. And yet there is this deep shame and um, not being able to trust my body, I think, mm. that keeps coming up, even though I've done so much work. It's just this, still this neural pathway that is very solidly ingrained. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of trauma.
0: So it just makes a lot of sense that that can happen. Now, what are some of the tools and strategies you've used
1: to to help you to, to feel pleasure again. So this has been a fascinating exploration for me because what I realized is women our age are not talking about this. And, and yet there is, there is so much out there that can be explored and in terms of different healing modalities and practices and journeys. So my first uh, exploration was pelvic floor physical therapy. And I remember when I went into my PT's office that very first time and she was the one who said, like, you are not making this up and this does not have to be the way it is. And it was this like, because my gynecologist, right, who is lovely, but he's a man and he just, he was like, well, this is what menopause and this is because you were, you know, and it was just the way it is. And she just looked at me and said, this is real. Like, I can see this in your tissues. You've got very fragile tissues, essentially. And so, and because I can't take any hormones as a result of blood clots that, you know, from all the treatments and different things, like this is real. And so that was a permission slip to be like, I'm not crazy. (laughs) So that was really interesting. And that involved a lot of breath work stretching and releasing even the trigger points in the inner thighs, because if you think about like the muscular system is all connected and my body was kind of in like this constant gripping mode. So the first step was to really kind of release the the trigger points and to reconnect with breath, um, in the pelvic floor area. So that was the first step. And then I started, you know, exploring other practices that I've kind of decided against because what I realized was I was going to this place and maybe you can identify with this Haley, but um, feeling like I was broken again. Like there were these possibilities, but it was approaching the healing from this. Oh, I'm broken and I have to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And that's not a great place for me to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I pulled back from some of those, um, looking at things like laser and plasma-rich injection, platelets are, are a treatment for some people. And I just decided, not for me right now. And so reading books like Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski, or um, there's a book by Dr. Lloyd Brado, Using mindfulness to increase sexual pleasure. Um, it's not exactly the title, but it's in there. <laughs> um, but really approaching almost reapproaching this this conversation and my body and my partnership from a place of, okay, what else could there be, right? What How else can we reconnect here? And you'll laugh, but the other thing that really happened when I got out of kind of fixing mode, I asked myself this question, I was journaling and I, I asked, you know, if I weren't trying to fix me right now, what, what might be here for me? And there's little whispers showed up and it was belly dancing. It was like belly dancing. (laughs) What? And so I, I let it go. I was like, well, that's a little wackadoodle, but okay. (laughs) I wrote it down and I'm a very curious person. Next day, I Googled belly dancing near me, and I found a studio 20 minutes from my home. This was a Friday morning. There was a new session, a four-week session for beginners starting that following Sunday. And I went, okay. So I signed up for this belly dancing class, and I walked in, and the teacher said, look, like I'm going to teach you some things, but at the end of the day, I just want you to fall in love with your body again. Ah, That's powerful right yeah so i you know spent four weeks learning i mean there's a lot to learn i did. <laughs> i am certainly not but there was this it was this reconnection with that whole sacral area and so that's really been the exploration that's where i am right now of just kind of reconnecting with kind of the sacral area and all of the parts of me to befriend them and become really present and redefine what, how I'm going to live next however many, many years of my life um, and be a woman who receives and experiences pleasure. I
0: love that. And so how has the pain been for you now?
1: I mean, the pain is still there. And it is because I think what's happened is there's almost a hyper focus on it, right? And so the pain is still there and hasn't completely gone away and may never completely go away. And what I've recognized about that is, okay, so there are lots of things I could potentially do, these injections, these other things, and those are available to me if if I want. They're also really expensive, oh, by the way. Um, so there's, there's that, which which isn't nothing, right? And the decision to say there are actually a lot of different ways to be intimate with your partner that have nothing to do with penetration and therefore could avoid the plane. And that for me is, is this place where then shame comes in, right? Because we're I'm 48, my husband's 51, you know, the idea of it, it's still very new, I think, for me to think about well, what does this even mean? But that's kind of where I am right now to say, all right. There are actually a lot of different ways to connect with your partner and what could that look like, right? If I were really, really going to be curious and just allow and trust that this partnership that I'm in is safe and that I belong and we do love one another, then what could be here? So to answer your question, the pain has not gone away, though I'm I'm hoping that some of the mindful practices are going to really help me kind of be with the pain instead of really Budget. does that make sense it does
0: completely and and more accepting that you know this is what is right now and
1: mm-hmm.
0: it could change but you're surrendering to yeah to what is right now right
1: yeah right You know, in in physical therapy at one point, my physical therapist was like, okay, so we kind of need a new baseline. (laughs) And my husband was very excited, right, we're going to have homework. And what ended up happening was, I think I was so, you know, the dutiful student (laughs) uh, that to some degree I was clenched up again. And so there was significant pain that then almost created new trauma. And so there's really approaching you know, that pain from a place of a there are other ways and B, like I don't have to push through this, right? If there's pain, stop. Acknowledge it, allow it. Right. This isn't a like when I was in bulldozing, you know, trying to survive, like must push through. Um, that is not going to be okay in my body right now. And so just acknowledging that, and that goes back to the communication, right? Intimacy is is really communication with ourselves, with our partners, with everybody that's so
0: true and and what i'm hearing is you know yes it's a struggle but loving and accepting your body for what it is just helps helps you let go and and
1: trust again trust your body absolutely and and that's really i think the cornerstone of the journey that has emerged for me is that I can trust my body, right? In many respects, my body has given me everything I've needed and craved. My bone marrow transplant was autologous, right? They were my own cells. So it took me years to figure that out, right? <laughs> that, like, I mean, I knew that intellectually, but to symbolically look at it and say, oh, it literally healed me, right? My body healed me. And then when I had my daughter, same thing. We had paid our money for a donor egg. I was weeks away from receiving this donor egg. And then I got pregnant on my own. So it's really remembering and honoring for me on my journey that I can trust my body. My body is strong. It is my ally, that I can be in relationship with my body rather than fighting it. And I think over there were a few years where I had started to fight it again. You know, because it's kind of easier to fight it than to love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so many people struggle with this. So I so appreciate you coming on and and being so vulnerable because you're going to help so many people. I mean, you know, so many of us cancer survivors, it, it is a struggle because you do think I heard you say that your body betrayed you in some way. And, you know, so it's it's that fine line between. Accepting my body, trusting my body, these miraculous things that happen, which is so miraculous. I mean, and when you th- really think about what the body can do, it's just incredible. I think it's just such an, an important discussion because it's just not talked about enough.
2: The tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Karlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting-edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more about what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarlfoldcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Naysha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carville Center call at 208-338-8902 or visit our website at com. You know, if you look at
1: social media are different things in terms of, you know, female empowerment and embracing pleasure, desire. There are a lot of young 20 and 30 somethings talking about this, which is fabulous, right? And I think the, the women of our generation who this wasn't something they grew up with, right? And we we grew up with whatever stories we had. And so to now say, there are options, right? Yes, you're like let's befriend the shame. Let's not let's not say. I mean, it's like when you're trying to meditate, right? And, and the idea that your your brain should be empty. I don't believe that. We're gonna have thoughts. Our brain is full of thoughts. <laughs> so let's greet them. You know, let's befriend the shame, and then be really kind and self compassionate to ourselves, and work towards a more more tender, a more honored relationship with ourselves. Mm,
0: So beautiful. And, you know, that leads me to your book because you recently wrote a book Mm -hmm. called Inhabit Your Joy, a book of nudges. So
1: can you just tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So this book is literally a book of 35 nudges (laughs) split into three sections, get rooted, get curious and get alive. And the idea is that you can open this book and just allow a nudge to find you. So I'm opening it right now. Um, And the nudge that (laughs) perhaps not surprisingly, right. That emerged was be rooted number 12, which is allow yourself to belong. Uh And so for Each nudge, there's a bit of a story, and then there's the nudge itself. So the nudge just says, play with noticing where and how you can allow yourself to belong. First, notice what belonging feels like to you. Go back to a memory where you felt belong. What did that look like, sound like, feel like? And then ask yourself, what does my heart need for me to allow myself to belong today? So each nudge is a little different. Some are, there are some yin yoga practices, but it's really meant you could read it cover to cover. But the way that I use it is it sits on my desk. And when I'm feeling on on any given day, I just open it and a practice will find me. So It's been um, a lot of fun to get, to watch it come alive through people's practices.
0: Oh, I love that. I love when I just open a page of a book and it just resonates so much. It just seems so
1: serendipitous. Yes. That sounds great. Yeah. I love local bookstores, so it can be found on bookshop.org to support your local booksellers. And then, of course, Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And on my website, um, there's actually a place where if you've gotten the book, you can go and get some extra resources and guided practices to play with. Oh, wonderful.
0: And before we get into random round, I just wanted to ask you any last piece of advice for someone like you, like me, who may have gone through either surgical menopause or menopause because of treatment what would you tell them to start with
1: mm, i'd say to find to decide what it is that matters to you and how you want to feel and then build a support system that's going to honor and empower that right whether it's your medical team um you know massage therapist physical therapist chiropractors but to know that you deserve to feel to live in a way that honors this strength that you have that you know there's a lot to be said about menopause but to decide that this it's a new doorway and that we get to keep walking through it. But the more we can support ourselves with, with knowing how we want to feel and then surrounding ourselves with people that are going to lift us and you know help us continue through that doorway rather than tell us it's just the way it is. Um, I think that would be my, my nudge is to get really, really clear on what it is you want to feel and why. And then to make sure you're creating a system, a structure for yourself um, that's supported uh, by others who are going to help you on that path. Perfect. Thank you.
0: And so are you ready for random
1: round? I am. I love listening to these on your muse. It's so fun to hear everybody's responses. It
0: is. It's so much fun. (laughs) Fill in the blank. Freedom
1: to you is. Uninhibitedness. Like it's to me like arms wide open, you know, jumping, flying, but really just being unapologetic the last show you binged and loved? I was thinking about this. So I'm currently watching um, Hacks with my husband. Uh, it's the story of two comedians or a, a comedian and, uh, and a writer who are an unlikely duo. And that's been kind of fun to watch. I'm really looking forward to binging um, Virgin River when it comes out next week.
0: <laughs> oh, same. It's next week. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> When you're feeling afraid, what do you do?
2: Mm,
1: I breathe. I breathe, and then I, I kind of just notice what it is I'm afraid of. Um, and usually there's an element of just, and, and the brain is an access point to that, but getting rooted in my body and noticing where the fear is. And perhaps what does the fear need? What is it asking of me? What does it want me to pay attention to?
0: If you could have a one hour discussion with someone past
1: or present, who would it be and why? It would be with my grandmother, um, my nonna Sandra. And and I would tweak it by I would really want my daughter to be there. I would want it to be the three of us. I would love for them to meet. And I just, if I could have that hour of two of them getting to know one another. Hmm. <laughs> so that's what it would be. What is your favorite go-to snack? Hmm. Dark chocolate really of any kind. Um, and there's a granola that I love recently called Love Crunch. It's the peanut butter chocolate um, variety of it. It is a very dangerous bag because it's a small bag and it can be eaten rather quickly if you're not paying attention. That <laughs> is my
0: favorite snack. What's one simple thing that brings you
1: joy? Mm. Going outside, and especially in the summer, um, looking at the flowers in bloom or the plants that I have growing, um, certainly is is something that no matter what the day. Just noticing, you know, the new bloom, how something has grown, the aroma, um, the the bird that lands on it. There's always some unexpected delight to that's there for me to notice. What's on your nightstand? Mm, so my nightstand has my Kindle. Uh, I read before bedtime until I fall asleep, which is usually like five minutes. <laughs> so, um, so my Kindle is always there. Also, I have a, a salve from an herbalist that I love and sometimes I will just rub it on my hands before bedtime and ask my dream, like ask a question and ask my dreams to, to help me find clarity on that. And I also have a plant um, on my nightstand. So, ooh, you have a good nightstand. I do do a nice nightstand. (laughs) What's your favorite form of exercise? Hmm. So. I love my Peloton. I am, you know, a Peloton rider. It's been three, three years. So I love the rides. I also have a Peloton tread walking in general, but riding on the Peloton. Um, there's just something about it that there's, there's the strength of the body, but there's also the inspiration of the instructors and the music and all of that. So I do love that.
0: What's one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now?
1: Mm, yeah, the thing I'm really grateful for right now in my life is, I don't know exactly how to put it into words, but it's it's possibility. It's um, having, I've, I've got a dream and I've voiced it and I've named it. And it's it's as if, my, my family and kind of life is converging to create possibilities towards it. And so I don't know what's going to happen with it, but it just feels like there's a lot of possibility right now. And so I'm just taking that and really feeling so nourished and grateful by that, for that.
0: Ah, that sounds amazing. I want to know what it is, but I will someday, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and just lastly, I know you mentioned your book and where you could find it, but just if you could tell us your website so people can learn more about
1: you. Yeah, of course. So if you go to elenasonino.com, so it's E-L-E-N-A-S-O-N-N-I-N-O.com, that's a great place to find some fabulous photos and learn about the retreats I lead, the book, get that a free practice to help you find your joy. Um, and the other place where I like to hang out is on Instagram and it's my, it's my name, Elena Simino. Uh, you can find me there.
0: Perfect. Elena, it was just such a pleasure. Thank you so much for opening up and in turn helping so many. I so appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Haley. It was really a delight. And I appreciate the opportunity.
0: That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.